Well, good morning. Good to be with you all today. We're going to be in a very familiar story for some of us, but I pray that the Lord uh, speaks to you in a fresh way this morning. Uh, before we go any further, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you and your mighty and matchless son's Jesus' name. God, thanking you for your word. God, we thank you that you speak to us, uh, that you desire for us to know you and understand you, that you don't hide from us, that you reveal yourself to us in your word. So today I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. You know their needs, um, you, you know their hearts, and I just pray that you would meet them where they are. Father, use this broken vessel for your glory. It's in your mighty and masterly sons, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, author Philip Yancey tells a story of a young woman from Traverse City, Michigan. Some of you guys are familiar uh, with Traverse City. It's a beautiful town on the west side of the state. Uh, well, this, this uh, young lady uh, grew up in Traverse City near uh, orchards, and uh, she was near ch the cherry blossoms, and it was just a very beautiful place. But she often had conflict with her parents. Her and her parents uh, didn't always get along. She was a little bit more free-spirited, and they were a little more old-fashioned, so there was a natural clash that took place from time to time. Uh, they could do without her piercings. They didn't like her piercings. Uh, they described her music choices as filth. And the tattoos that she had snuck and got were just a symbol of her rebellion in the household. And so they were, they were constantly clashed. Well, one Friday night, night she found herself uh, grounded. And uh, on this Friday night, her and her parents had this fight. And her father came and knocked on the door after the fight, and she just replied, go away, I hate you, I hate you, go away. And then that night, she finally built up the courage to do something that she had been wanting to do all along. She packed her bags and she ran away. So um, she had only been to Detroit once. She went for a youth group trip and she thought, well, I'll go there to Detroit. No one will look for me there. No one would ever think that I would go to Detroit. So she goes to Detroit. A couple days in, she meets a gentleman. Um, he's, he's, uh, he's funny. He makes her laugh. He has a nice car. He has money. And they begin to uh, engage in a relationship. And he shows her the finer things in life. They end up having a, a penthouse in downtown Detroit where they can oversee the city. A month goes by, two months go by, a year goes by, and she thinks to herself, I am living the dream. No more restrictions, no more rules, no more religion. I'm finally free. I finally feel like a woman. I'm finally living the life I've always wanted to live. Well, time goes by, and her and this guy, they don't get along as well anymore. 
Uh, he doesn't find her as interesting or important or attractive anymore. And one night they get into a fight and he kicks her out and she finds herself walking the streets of Detroit on a cold winter night. And she looks for a place to sleep and she lays down outside of a department store and she makes a blanket out of her coat and out of newspapers and she begins to weep because she can't rest and she thinks to herself, what am I doing? What have I done? And she has a warm memory of May in Traverse City where she just can imagine her dog, her golden retriever, and she sees her friends and family and she's thinking to herself, what have I done? And so she takes uh, a phone call. Uh, she calls her parents and she calls them three times. Uh, first two times, nobody picks up. The third time, nobody picks up again. She just thinks, I'll leave a voicemail. And she leaves this voicemail and she says, I'm, I'm, coming, to, I'm coming home. You might not be there when I get to the bus station. If you don't show up, I understand. I know I don't deserve anything, but just want to let you know I'm, I'm coming home. I'm about to catch a bus from Detroit back home to Traverse City. Well, uh, she takes this bus and it takes seven hours to get there. And once she gets there, the bus driver says, 15 minutes and we're taking off. And she's looking around and she's looking to see if she sees anyone and knowing that if no one's there, she's going to have to take that, uh, take that bus on to the next stop. And she looks, she looks, and then she finally sees a group of about 40 people. She sees cousins and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and members of her church. And they have noisemakers and they have uh, funny hats and uh, they have signs that say, welcome home. We missed you. Welcome home home. And then she sees her father and she runs and hugs her father. She says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he says, ah, 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 no time for that. We have to get home to your party. We have to celebrate you well, my daughter. You might listen to that story and say, the prodigal returns. The prodigal returns. I've been doing a little research into that word prodigal, and pastor scholar Tim Keller says that prodigal isn't always what we think that it is. Prodigal isn't necessarily just a person who runs away and comes home. That word prodigal means a little something more. And I want to look at a definition that uh, Tim Keller gives us. He says, the prodigal is the one who spends extravagantly having or giving something on a lavish scale. A prodigal is the one who spends extravagantly having or giving something on a lavish scale. It's the picture of the person who goes to the fine restaurant and says, I want the finest steak. 
that you guys have and pair it with the oldest bottle of Cabernet that you have. It's the person that says, let's go, let's go shopping in Paris for the, for the spring collection of Gucci or Louis Vuitton and let's just go all out, sparing no expense. Let's go to the car lot and, and get the highest grade of Mercedes Benz that they have. It's the person that spends lavishly. It's the person that says, I'm going to spare no expense to make sure that I and the people that I love have a good time. I'm going all out. I'm going big. And as we look at this story, the young lady thought that she might have been living lavish. She, she might have lived a little bit of that. But what the father in that story did is far more extravagant. His love was far more costly. He went big. And it wasn't because his daughter had did something right or that she deserved it. He says, my baby's home, and because my baby's home, I'm going big. Because my daughter is home, because she is mine, not because of anything that she has done, but because of who she is and the fact that she is back, I'm going big. And as it relates to us and God, God says, I'm going big. There's nothing more precious and nothing more lavish than the precious blood of Jesus. What's going to be the price to receive lost people back, lost sinners back? What's going to be the price to restore broken humanity? It's going to be the cost of your son, God. And he sends his son. He says, I'm going big. Paul explains this a little bit. He says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You think that you have a lot of sin? Well, God says, I have even more grace. You think that you, you, you can out God's grace? No, my friend. You, can, you cannot out God's grace. God went big. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And today our definition for grace is this. Grace is receiving what we least deserve when we deserve it least and need it most. It's receiving what we least deserve when we deserve it least and need it most. I like how Paul says it in Romans 5, 6. He says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not for the, for the good people. Not for the people who got it right so uh, they deserve for me to die for them. Not for the obedient people. He says, Christ died for the ungodly. Grace is amazing. It's amazing, but grace is also unfair. Grace is amazing, but grace is unfair. And sometimes it's hard to appreciate grace, especially in someone else's life, when we don't think that they really deserve what they have. Sometimes that's, that's difficult to embrace because grace can be unfair. Maybe it's something that you've been praying for and someone else experiences. How do they get that? And grace can be, it can be difficult to fully embrace in someone else's life. We may say things like, how did they get that promotion? 
I've been on this job even longer than them. I work hard. I feel like I'm overlooked around this place. How did they get that promotion? How, how did she get married before I got married? I, I know her background. How, how, did, how did she get married? And I'm, I'm faithful. We may say, how did that kid make the team? He's, he's terrible. How did, he, how did he make the team? We may say things, we may say things like, why did that person get to hurt me and then go on with their life as if they never did anything to me? I feel like they haven't finished paying yet. But God, obviously you do. So grace is amazing, but grace is, un, is unfair. Jesus speaks to the complexity of grace by telling a story. It's the story of a father with two sons. It's, it's often called the story of the prodigal son. And there's this, this one son that runs away, and he's the younger brother. Younger brothers are, are, are the ones that are openly re- re- rebellious. And then you have uh, older brothers who, who are more inclined to a moralistic and dutiful behavior. And so he tells a story to engage this complexity of grace. But to fully understand what Jesus was getting at, we have to to know who was in the crowd. Who was in the crowd that day when Jesus was telling this story of the father with the lost sons? And we see this in Luke 15. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So the scene is Jesus is talking and there are people who are openly rebellious, openly uh, lawbreakers, and they are gathered around Jesus as he's talking to them about the kingdom. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. So as Jesus is about to tell us the story about the prodigal son, this is who is in the crowd. You have uh, the sinners, those who are openly rebellious, uh, the younger brothers, they're there. And then you have the older brothers, the religious leaders of the day, they're there as, as well. Jesus and tables. There's something about Jesus and tables. In Jesus's day, uh, who you ate with was very, it was very significant who you ate with. To, to share a meal with someone was not just to share a meal with someone. It was a way of showing that you accepted that person. You, you, uh, it was declaring uh, that you accept that person. You may, it may be even declared that you accepted their lifestyle. It was a way of welcome, welcoming them into your life. So to sit down with someone at a table was very significant. And Jesus was sitting down with sinners. And the uh, religious leaders of his day saw that and were absolutely disgusted. How dare you eat and share a meal with such people in public? The, the, the younger brothers who were at that table around Jesus, those who were outwardly rebellious and who knew that they were lost, they were amazed by grace. 
And they were amazed at the stories that Jesus was telling. But the old, their older brothers were disgusted by grace. And they were disgusted at these stories that Jesus was telling about these rebellious people getting saved and, and coming back uh, to God. How, how, how dare they? And so Jesus notices who's in the crowd. He knows his audience. He knows that he has, uh, he has uh, religious, moralistic types and rebellious types in his, in his crowd that day. So he tells a story. Let's go to it. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This is classic younger brother lostness. Self-seeking, self-fulfillment. I, I feel this thing inside of me and I just have to express it. I, I want things on my terms. I want life my way. And for a son to ask for an inheritance was very offensive. To ask for an inheritance while your parent is still alive is another way of saying, I wish you were dead. I don't, I don't love you. I just want your stuff. So let's just, let's just stop pretending here. Let's just, just give me my stuff, and I'm just going to go on, and I'm going to live my life. So that's what's happening here. This is classic younger brother rebellion. I want my way, and I want things on my terms. And friends, sometimes it's easier to identify younger brother lostness. It's a little bit more difficult to identify older brother lostness, but this, this brother here is clearly lost. So let's continue in his story. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. Classic younger brother lostness. He's come to the end of himself. He, he sought fulfillment in this world, and now he has come up empty. The life that he thought was going to be so fulfilling and so satisfying has proved to not be as such. He has come to the end of himself and his resources. Classic younger brother lostness. So, so what does he do? What does he do as he's come to the end of himself? He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants. This younger brother was aware of his shortcomings. This younger brother was aware of his sin. This younger brother was now aware that he had uh, come to the end of, of himself. He was acknowledging the error of his ways. 
But in many ways, it doesn't appear that he really understood the heart of the Father just yet. I've done wrong, so now I must go back and hire myself out as a servant. I don't think that I'm going to be received as a son, so I must go back and work my way back into my Father's good graces. And so he's on his way back, but he's still not fully embracing the love of the Father. He still doesn't really understand who his Father truly is. And I think uh, that some of us get stuck in that. We get stuck and we say, I, I don't deserve the love of God. I, I, I belong with the pigs. I I deserve this. It's my fault that I'm in this predicament in the first place. It's my fault uh, that I'm in this this mess in the first place. And so maybe I should just, maybe I should just stay with the pigs. Maybe I should just stay in my sin. Because you know what, those those religious people, they don't want me at their table anyway. If they knew what I had really done and how I really messed up, they they don't want me there anyway. So I'll, I'll just, I'll just stay. Uh, but but he, he, he's going to be very surprised at what he experiences when he goes back, this younger brother. Uh, he prepares for his journey to return home. He is rehearsing his speech. He's saying that, hey, I'm going to come back as a servant. I'm going to work. And so he expects to be humiliated and shamed upon return. He has... He has reached the utter depths and low of society to be a Jewish man in that era. Feeding pigs was an extreme low. Pigs were considered unclean animals in Jewish culture, and he was at the low of the low. He was feeding pigs and desired to eat with pigs, and so uh, he didn't think much of himself, and he didn't expect to be received well. But the younger brother returns, so I'd like to welcome up a younger brother. Let's welcome up Adam, our younger brother today. The younger brother returns. He expects to be shamed. He expects to be humiliated. But that's not what he experiences at all. He is lavished. Let's put on this gold chain, younger brother. He is lavished with love. He is welcomed back in a big way. Daddy's saying, I'm throwing a party. I'm going big. I just want to read something here. Let's, let's, let's see what the text says about the younger brother's return. It said, grace is receiving what we least deserve and when we deserve it least and need it most. Let's go to the text in Luke. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He was excited. He was so glad that his boy is back. I'm going big. My boy is back, and I'm going. I wanna, we're having a party for him. Come on. We have, we're inviting everybody. We're inviting the whole community. We're going big. My boy is home. We're going to do this in a lavish way. Yeah. And everybody is excited. Yeah, we're going big. Scripture said that, that, that they killed the fattened calf. That was this, this rare meat for that day. They're, they're eating good. There's music. There's a party. There's celebration. We burst in cannons because the one who was lost has been found. 
So we're going to lavish him with love. This is the exact opposite of what he was expecting on his return. So it's this great celebration. We have the younger brother who was lost and has been found. So everybody's celebrating. Or so we think. We also have an elder brother. And we want, to, we want to welcome the elder brother into the party too. Elder brother, come on up. Come on into the party. I'm not going to that party. No, not going. Not happening. No, not going. No. <laughs> come on, come on. Come to the party. No, I'm not going to the party. No way. No. Okay. okay. Not going up there. Let's see, what, let's see what the scripture says about the elder brother. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him to come into the party. Please, please come into the party. No. Okay. No, okay. not going. Not happening. But he not answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not even his brother, this son of yours, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes has come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Exactly. Whatever. Come on, come on, come on, your older brother, come on. Okay, I'll go, I'm not sitting on that seat, though. I'll come up, though. I'm coming up. <laughs> All right. This is ridiculous. Just get out of here. <laughs> no, I don't want it. No, no, thank you. What is this? So, to the elder brother, this was the type of thing that had to be worked for. Some kid who runs away and sins and wastes his father's money doesn't deserve anything like this. If anybody deserves anything like this, he thinks it should be him. Exactly. Because he is obeyed and he deserves this. But now he's rebelling in his own way because now his obedience doesn't get him what he wants. So he's like, I'm done. I'm done. And this story in the scripture kind of ends abruptly. It kind of stops right there because Jesus was speaking to the crowd and he was specifically speaking to the elder brothers that weren't so amazed by grace. They were more disgusted by grace. And that's where the story kind of stops. Let's, let's thank our party and the brothers. Thank you. Thank you. Elder brothers and younger brothers, most of us tend to lean in one direction or the other. For whatever reason, some of us might have experienced uh, people who lived undisciplined lives, and we may have seen uh, the danger of rebellion and how rebellion can ruin family or how re rebellion and lawlessness can ruin a community. And we're more tended, uh, we, we tend to go against that and say, you just need to follow the rules. If everybody just follows the rules and does right, then everything will be good. And some of us tend to lean towards the elder brother we find it difficult to receive grace. We think that we have to do something to be worthy and we have to prove ourselves. We don't believe that we should be welcomed to this table by grace. We believe that uh, only those who work hard deserve to be accepted at this table by, uh, uh, by their works and their efforts. And so we have a hard time believing that we're worthy to sit at this table unless we've done something to earn a right at this table. And, and younger brothers, I've, I've, I know... Uh, those of us who tend to lean towards being younger brothers, we might say that there's no life at that table. 
I've only seen religion hurt and oppress people. I grew up in the church and I saw how painful it was. I, I experienced uh, church hurt. I, I've seen uh, the oppression of religion and I said to myself, I am never going back to such a thing. So your younger brothers tend to rebel against uh, uh, faith and they tend to rebel against that table. They don't think that there's life at that table. I just want to just give us a few examples. Younger brothers, they say that I'm going to find life on my own terms. I'm going to figure this thing out. Self-fulfillment, self-discovery. I'm going to go off and figure out my life. Openly rebellious. I'm not hiding anything, right? Openly rebellious. Uh, defiant towards religion and rules. Uh, not necessarily a Satan worshiper. I think that's a caricature. But it's just a person who's self-determined and self-guided. Uh, younger brothers tend to buck the system. They revolt against institutions. That's, that's more of their leaning and more of their, their style. Uh, elder brothers say, I'm going to find life through moralistic behavior and duty. Uh, older brothers tend to be scorekeepers. This is what I did and this is what I deserve. They can be angry if they don't get what they feel that they deserve. This is the elder brother. Self-pity. Why is this happening to me? Nothing bad should come into my life because I'm a good person. I, I do good and therefore I deserve good. And if I don't get what I deserve, then I'm angry and, I'm, I, and I may wallow in self-pity. Can tend to be manipulative or, or shame-oriented. I'm only as good as the last good thing that I did. Sometimes elder brothers can worship the system and they preserve institutions by any means. So we can tend to lean in one of those directions and we can may even have both of, uh, both of those in us at time to time, but you, you likely uh, may lean to be an elder brother or, or a younger brother. But here's the good news, friends. There's grace for both. There, there's grace for the younger brother. And for the younger brothers here today, and that are watching online, I just want to encourage you that there is life at that table. You don't have to uh, go off and try to figure out life on your own. And, and you probably have learned over time that uh, seeking self and rebellion doesn't bring the fulfillment that you thought it would bring. And God says to you that you can always come back to this table, that there is life at the table. Jesus welcomes you to the table. And for elder brothers, you might be tempted to feel like, well, I have to be good enough or be worthy to be at that table. And God says to you, come on in. Welcome to the party. There is life here. And, and because of what I did on the cross, I have lavished you with love and given you access, and you are welcome as well. But grace, it, it may receive us as we are, but it doesn't leave us as we are. As we spend time with Jesus, grace transforms us. Younger brothers start to find life and satisfaction and true joy in Jesus as they spend time with him and as grace begins to transform them. And, and elder brothers begin to see that they are worthy, not because of what they have done, but because of what Christ has done. Grace transforms us. 
And that's what we're going to talk about next week as we continue in the series, What's So Amazing About Grace. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty and matchless son's Jesus' name, uh, thanking you for your word. I pray for those of us who are elder brothers and younger brothers alike, God, that we would come to the table and, and, and experience your fellowship. God, you went big when you sent your son to die on the cross for sinners like us. You, you held nothing back, no restraint. And I pray that we would see that for what it is and know that we are loved by you. God, we thank you and we love you. And see your mighty and matchless sons. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.